Hey, I'm Danny Mazer, and you are listening to the Soul Stories podcast, an extension of Soul Stories. At Soul Stories, we create spaces for risk-taking, vulnerability, and critical thought. On this season of the podcast, we speak to change makers about their personal journeys and how they are making an impact in their communities. Dave is a fitness entrepreneur who is developing authentic community and vulnerability in a world overrun with toxic masculinity and pride. He speaks about how exercise has been his number one tool to overcome anxiety and depression, and he hopes that he can do the same for his clients. What started as one-to-one physical training with his mother has now blossomed into a successful business and community. In this conversation, I press him on what healthy masculinity looks like and how vulnerability shows up in the world of sports and athleticism. I have been so fed up with performative masculinity in the sports world and the lack of emotional depth. And Dave had some unique solutions to these issues, especially in the latter half of this conversation. I'm curious what you all think. Feel free to leave comments. This is the first time I've sat on this side. So Do you want to swap? No, I'm just in my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, the first question we like to start out with is, what are you creating in the world? I mean, can I narrow it down to one thing? Um, you can go everywhere with this. I can go everywhere. Long form, <clears throat> hour, hour 15 minute podcast. Okay. Yeah. Cool. What am I creating in this world? Um, I'm creating fitness and nutrition programs that help combat anxiety and depression mm-hmm. in a holistic fashion. Cool. Yeah. What's that look like? Uh, it's super simple. Like all of our programs are online and accessible on your mobile device. So three workouts per week that are low risk, high reward um, in the gym of your choice anywhere in the world. Wow. So you're creating these programs that people can take to their own gym. That's right. Yeah, they access our Fit Life Champions program and they get nutrition advice, they get coaching advice, and then they get these three workouts per week that are all inclusive. Full body, um, so that we're not wasting anybody's time. They get in, they get out, they get done so that they can get on with the rest of their busy lives. Whoa, that's a cool program. So it's all online. Mm -hmm. And where did this come from? Uh, years and years and years of trial and error. So um, uh, I originally started my career in hotels and restaurant management. And in 2008, when that industry bottomed out, um, I was just serving tables in a restaurant. So the hotel industry went along with the rest of the economy. That's correct. Actually, it was one of the first few things that people cut out. Like um, businesses weren't doing conferences um, around the country. They would stay closer to home. They just weren't booking as big of events. And that was my department, was banquets. Yeah, which I imagine hotels get a lot of money from that. Absolutely, it's a huge profit margin for hotels to serve um, large conferences. Because the, the bigger the conference, the more you can charge. But it's like, you're already paying for the room that you built in your hotel. Let's max capacity and charge people per head. You know, So really yeah. it's the scalable portion of a, of a hotel industry business model. Yeah. So you're in the hotel industry and that's, so was that what your plan was? You were going to be in hospitality? 
I loved the work I did. Yeah. Um, I hated the hours, but I loved the work. And it was a great job in management that you don't need a college degree for. Okay. And I, I didn't finish when I first tried college. So when the industry bottomed out in 2008, I was just serving tables. I decided to go back to school for exercise science. Undergrad. Uh-huh, my undergrad. Nice. And I finished in about three years because I transferred in about 50 credits. And then it took me about nine months to actually decide that personal training was a career path that I wanted to go on. So I started with one client. That was my mom. Nice. Uh, she hired me. It was almost like she talked me into being her personal trainer because I wanted to work with athletes, as most personal trainers do. Yeah. I had interned at Top DU. Of the line. Yeah. I had interned at DU in their strength and conditioning department. And I got to work with soccer and lacrosse and hockey at the elite level of collegiate athletics. And then nine months later, my mom hired me and I, I needed the money. And it was easy money because I had the education and I had the programs uh, pretty much developed. Just needed to meet with her and guide her through. Yeah. What was that like working with your mom? You know, she's still a client six <laughs> years later. No way. Uh-huh. So she's <laughs> she's my biggest so fan. Sweet. Oh my god. <laughs> I think she gets something out of it too. Yeah. You know, she's a pretty strong ripped sixty four year old. She's almost sixty five now. Really? Yeah, and she can she's definitely strong. Yeah, it sounds like she could beat my ass. <laughs> <laughs> probably probably not of uh, the aggressive type, but you know, she and my dad come together and they have for many years and they were in a rollover car accident in their mid to late 60s and they survived with just bumps and bruises because of the core conditioning that they had intentionally worked on for themselves as preventative maintenance as opposed to response to, say, like an injury or response to a cardiologist saying, you need to exercise or you're going to die. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, the pre-heart attack speech or right. whatever. That or post-heart like, attack. Or post-heart attack. That yeah. wake-up call that most people have in their lives is like, a medical emergency and they're like I need a lifestyle change yeah but my parents chose the other way and they always chose preventative maintenance however my dad's lifestyle for 30 years in corporate America he did have a heart attack while he was a client but he was back to exercise and back to working out five weeks later because he had built a foundation up until the heart attack interesting uh-huh. so how does somebody so how does that help with a car accident? How do that, I don't understand how core stability could sure. prevent them from actually getting injured. Like I imagine, you know, you're in a car accident, you flip over, you get fucked up over that. Yeah, you, know? you can. Yeah. So you play basketball. Yes. We were just talking about that. Um, I'm not sure if you're playing in the post or you're playing in the key or whatever. Yeah. Um, you're bumping up against other bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And the more stable you are, the more core strength you have as an athlete, the more you can actually um, push back against that resistance and actually um, prevent them from pushing you off your position. So you can take the shot or you can defend or et cetera. Okay. In a rollover car accident, the inertia is basically multiplied by 10 to 20 or 100 because of that, um, centrifugal force of the rollover so imagine like two or three defenders coming on you at the same time and they're just pushing you and shoving you and pushing you and shoving you the better shape you're in before that occurs the more resilient you are afterwards interesting so you might get some bumps and bruises from those three defenders coming at you but a rollover car accident same thing their core strength and core stability protected their spine protected their ribs protected their hips and their neck and their head because they were strong before the accident. Wow. 
I yeah, that's that's really crazy. You n- you just never would think that that would be a preventable thing in exercise. Yeah. So what was the process from working with mom to building this entrepreneurial pursuit? Um, I'm pretty active on Facebook and social media now. In the beginning of my business, I was a little bit nervous about sharing things on social media. I didn't want to be salesy. Yeah. But I would share genuine, authentic pictures and videos of me and my mom working out. Hmm. And then my coworkers, I was still working a restaurant job, juggling the two, um, trying to decide what my life path was going to be like. So I started sharing these pictures and my coworkers, mid-30s, young 30s, females started coming to me and they said, if, if you can do that with your 60-something-year-old mom, what can you do with me at 30? Mm. I've got a couple kids, I'm busy, or I'm in school, I'm busy, I have a full-time job. What can I do to maximize my time a couple times a week? So my coworker, a bartender, became my first influencer or tipping point, as Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell would talk about. Yeah. She started inviting six to eight to 10 friends of hers so that she could build a group around her, working out with her to support her before she went on a cruise with her husband. And that led to your first community. It really was. My first 10 clients came from me posting about my mom. 30-year-olds were watching that story and that journey, and then they jumped on board because they had a strong enough purpose in order to consistently come, actually justify the payment because it's expensive, but it was less expensive in the group setting. Yeah. Yeah. So I met them where they were at, and we built a community of female clients um, that gravitated to us. And I imagine just them seeing your, you and your mom, like that just sounds so heartwarming. <laughs> like sounds like, I don't know, so genuine, I guess. And that's what I've learned after the six years is that your audience of people who are going to gravitate to you are attracted to that genuine, authentic message that you're sharing. Yeah. There, I don't know if you know 10 personal trainers, 20 personal trainers, or just the influx of information that you can find where you would go shop for anything, where you spend your time, Facebook. In your feed, it's like fitness, 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 but there's no story behind it. Well, my story simply was just, you know, I'm passionate about fitness and nutrition, and I'm hanging out with my mom, and we're working <laughs> out, and um, she that. has a good foundation of of joint mo- movement and mobility because my parents were ath- athletes all growing up, you know, runners and cyclists and and so forth, you know. But the authenticity of my relationship with my mom actually gravitated more clients to me. And then from there, um, I built up a business in a, sm- a large private training studio space that I rented. So I kept my overhead low and my profits pretty high because more people started gravitating to that authentic message of like, doesn't matter if you're female, it doesn't matter if you're busy, it doesn't matter if you're mom, it doesn't matter if you're in school, you can still make time for exercise. And in my first year, I built it up to about 29,000 in revenue. My second year, I built it up to about 49,000 in revenue, and then 62 and 72 and then so forth from there on out. And what occurred was people from across the country started being uh, aware of that message and gravitating to my social media. And then they're like, hey Dave, I know I'm in Pennsylvania or I know I'm in LA, but I've been watching you and I think you can actually write me a program long distance. What do you got? Mm. So the first platform was really archaic, simply just a spreadsheet that I would share with my 
um, former roommate in Pennsylvania and a former college friend of mine in LA. One male, one female, and I tried it. It was easy because um, I had the systems basically built for workout programs, but it was delivering it to the client in an effective way so that they knew what I was trying to ask them for. They don't know what the exercise names are. They don't know this. They don't know that. So I basically had to find videos, monkey see, monkey do, duplicatable across the country. Just filming yourself. Um, sometimes I would borrow other experts in the industry. I would borrow their videos because I really wasn't um, generating revenue off of my first two clients. I was really just experimenting with online training in its most archaic fashion. Simple spreadsheet, hyperlink a name of an exercise to a, a video I found on YouTube that was good enough, mm -hmm. as far as the form goes, that would actually get my clients' results. And what, what year was that? Oh, this was, uh, shoot, four and a half years ago, five years ago now. I imagine that was probably just before the boom mm -hmm. of everybody having video, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, when, when I upgraded from an Android phone, phone to an iPhone, that's when I saw the capability of video coming into play. You just... You just made a big, bold statement on the podcast. I upgraded I, I, from Android <laughs> to iPhone. Now, about five years ago, the Android platform didn't have great video editing capability. Mm. So I would come up with or I would videotape my mom and then the, the HD camera wasn't really, you know, great quality at that time. Both platforms have made giant strides forward in their camera capability and their video editing since then. But I had you just to go saved your Android comment. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel me back yeah. <laughs> I became ten times more productive when I switched to a Mac product than when I was on Android. Mm. And I started filming what I was doing in the gym, my own exercises, and then started filming my mom or my girlfriend at the time. I was like, hey, let me just videotape what you're doing right here. And then I'll share it with my clients across the country. Mm. And then the videos started to become mine. And that's when I really started to package it together in a duplicatable system from client to client to client. And because I've already seen women of similar age, similar goals, similar histories and similar stories gravitate to me, I simply just poured into that niche. That's, is that your primary clientele mm -hmm. to this day? 25 to 40 year old, busy adults now, um, but it started out as women only mm. and that's who I sought out to coach. Um, I've got a big soft spot. Um, we can talk about my personality type and why that is, but I'm sure we will, <laughs> I, but my, my, my gravitation is to help the underdog and to help somebody who cannot help themselves. And that could be anybody from just a lay person with no exercise science knowledge whatsoever or no time to go out there and research it themselves, that's who I gravitate to, and that's who gravitates to me. Mm. So 25 to 40 year old busy adults that um, want to improve self-confidence, decrease stress, and boost energy, that's who I work with. And when did the anxiety and depression piece come in to play? That's a really good question because I've been using fitness and nutrition for 20 years to level out my emotions and my stress and my um, priorities. Um, so I knew the benefits of what um, cons consistent exercise could do for me mentally, emotionally, and physically. So I basically took my life experience and started to seek out that as a stronger purpose. 
because after about four or five years in business, you need a strong purpose in order to keep going. Mm. Otherwise, you lose momentum and you lose interest and you become a um, driven by other means. Maybe our goal is to generate more revenue as a business owner, which is okay, but without a strong enough purpose, it actually becomes an energy drain versus an actual um, passion project, which is where I started. Yeah, People were gravitating to me because I was passionate about it. And then I started to really want to build some generating revenue because we had scalable business model with online training. So you're, you're in business at the time and you haven't made this transition yet. Are you finding that you're struggling for purpose at that, at that time? It comes and it goes. Um, my purpose has changed so much in six years as a business owner. I originally started out, I want to serve as many people as I possibly can through fitness and nutrition. Mm -hmm. That's not a very strong purpose. Okay, now I want to help um, 25 to 40 year old women um, who are busy save time and money with online training. Okay, that's a good niche to work with, but it's still not a strong enough purpose. It's still the what. It's still the what and the, and the how, not the why. Mm -hmm. So I started diving deeper into um, business books like 10X Rule by Crank Cardone, and that expanded productivity. Okay, I've got an iPhone, now what? Okay, now multiply your effort by 10 and you'll get somewhere. And then Simon Sinek's Start With Why came at me. Mm. I'm like, okay, this is really good concept. Let me discover my purpose and my passion. And what was that purpose for you going, because <clears throat> I imagine most people start with the what and the how, it's mm -hmm. the easiest place to access. And what was that process for you when you look inside and go for the why? What did you find there? I think it came from the community that we had already built. Um, the women who first started coming to us saw my mom's message and my mom's story and my mom's journey through fitness, but they didn't know me or mine. So I went through a breakup in uh, this summer that I was alone and single in Denver, which um, back in the, at this time, there weren't that many dating apps out what there. Year? Uh, shoot, four and a half years ago now. So summer, yeah, coming up on a five years ago would have been this breakup. And so I was alone and as an entrepreneur, you can even feel more alone. Yes. First of all, I was, <laughs> yes. I was single. <laughs> Second of all, I'm a business owner who just quit his second job, which was the parachute. That was the one thing holding me back from breaking past that $50,000 mark in year two. So I get up to about $5,000 a month in revenue. Um, it comes and it goes, but I'm like, I can live off of this and I can support myself and my business and my daughter off of it. But I'm single and I feel alone in my journey. And I started to share that with my community. And one of my closest friends and my closest clients, I shared it with her one day and she's like, Dave, you, you don't know how much that resonates with the people you're working with. That I said, hey, you know what? I'm feeling pretty low right now. Um, it's not body image. It's not this. It's not that. It's basically just like, you know what, Megan? I feel alone. And it was right after a session. And she's like, Dave, we got you. We're here. Mm. You know, because we feel the same way. And so I, I pondered on that for a little bit. And I took a big chance. And I started to write down one of my first blogs that I ever wrote. I'm not much of a blogger. Like I said, it, it was hard for me to share 
early on because I didn't want to seem too salesy. So I wrote this blog post and I basically wanted to share the top 10 reasons how fitness combats anxiety and depression because I was feeling it at that time. I was boxing three days a week. I was Olympic lifting three days a week. And I think that that was the only thing that really saved my summer, being alone. Um, I wasn't seeing a counselor at the time. I do now because I know the efficacy of it and I know how I can grow exponentially because I speak to somebody with an outside perspective. Mm. But you know, I was prideful at the time and I was feeling alone and I'm like, okay, I can do this on my own. Right. That's not true. So I write this blog post and I start to share it with my community and they're like, Dave, thank you. We, f- we resonate with point one, two, and four or five, nine, and 10. You basically just put out there what we are already feeling. And that's when we went from 50,000 in revenue to 62,000 in revenue like that. Just a spike. Um, it really was because people now didn't, they had a message within our community and they saw who I was working with, but they didn't know why. And now our audience knew why. So I started to share this message, um, you know, in appropriate times in the community that I was building and through referral networking, we saw that thousand dollar increase every single month. So how, how in this you're, you're finding, you're finding fitness as a way of combating your aloneness. What does that look like? How does fitness do that for you? In my particular case now, it's jujitsu and my jujitsu community because it's a group-based exercise program. In my weight training community, we had to have that. We had to have small group training to build a community so that none of us felt alone. So that we could all, maybe somebody comes in in January and they start to see results February and March and then a new person joins in April and they're like, am I ever gonna see results? Okay, well, look at Megan who started three months before you. Look at how far she's come. Mm. So it gives, um, gives us an authority. It gives us uh, experts in our ideal client's eyes, but it also gives hope. And when somebody's feeling low about themselves, that's when they start to make a change. Maybe I should go speak to somebody about how I feel. Maybe I should start eating better and maybe I should start exercising. You know, New Year's resolutioners say this every single year. However, (laughs) (laughs) however, I felt a low point in the summer. I needed to make a change in my own life. So I changed my nutrition. I actually signed up for precision nutrition as a result of that low point feeling in my business and my personal life. And precision nutrition taught me which micronutrients I was deficient in, which can actually help with hormones and and serotonin and dopamine and um, your second brain is in your gut. So if you're fueling your gut correctly, then it's gonna give feedback to your actual brain producing more serotonin and dopamine. So it's an upward spiral compounding on top of each other each and every single time you put proper nutrition in your body. Whereas the opposite, if I'm eating pizza and drinking beer every night, it's a downward spiral, physiologically speaking. And then I don't get as good at workouts. And then I, another compound effect in the opposite direction. It's really interesting for you to talk about this. I think one thing that happens a lot, especially in my community, is that fitness can be seen as this jock thing. It can be seen as a bro thing and the other, you know, an anti-intellectual, anti-community, um, 
proposition. But right now you're talking about this as a way of building community, as mm-hmm. a way of creating spaces to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I find that so interesting. Do you find vulnerability in that community? I think we need it. Mm. Um, we are so blessed to be in Colorado where it's a very active state. You know, you, you can go to Red Rocks any day of the week and there's 200 people exercising in a group by Minus themselves. 15 degrees. <laughs> people are doing <laughs> I've that. I've seen yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Six inches of snow. One of my clients is uh, up there sending me a picture. Yeah. He's like, Dave, you might have bailed on today's workout, but I didn't. He's shirtless doing push-ups oh on, the, on the bleachers in six inches of snow. He was, a, he was a pleasure to work with, an American Ninja Warrior candidate. He tried out for the show twice. Did he get it? Um, no, unfortunately. Um, because the way that they tape that show, it's at five in the morning. And they make you stand in line from 10 o'clock the night before until five in the morning. Because they need to you, test you mentally. Yeah, yeah, it makes you a warrior if you can do that. That's correct. And it's also better at TV when, when these elite level athletes are failing because they're sleep deprived or because they're um, in a cold environment. It was May when he tried out and it was bitter cold. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, he's doing push-ups at Red Rocks in six inches of snow. I've seen what he's capable of. He's a Muay Thai athlete. Um, he's a boxer. And he lives in Highlands Ranch and he runs his own business. He's a phenomenal person. Rock climber too. So we were talking about this community in Colorado. We're very fortunate that um, people like to convene around activities, whether that's an outdoor hike or cycling or trail running um, or simply just like an outdoor workout with some kettlebells or body weight like Red Rocks provides us with. And the summers from uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day, we do Saturday workouts at Red Rocks as a community thing. It's free. It's something that we choose to do for our community so that they can access fitness easier. And it introduces new people to our community and to fitness and its capabilities here in Colorado. So if we bring in more people, showing them that it's possible and that there's hope that there can be change in their life, that we can start to share the message that fitness and nutrition is a very great place to start for personal growth. And that's my journey is discovering that's what I was doing all along by fighting anxiety and depression with fitness. That was me growing personally, even though I wasn't ready to face it emotionally. I impacted my life through personal growth physically. And there was some mental some mental health benefits that I wasn't necessarily scientifically proving every single day, but I was still doing it for myself. And so where, where does that emotional piece come in? Where does that vulnerable piece come in? Oh, good. Yeah. We were talking about vulnerability. Again, this personality type that I've been diving into as a result of personal growth and change for me, vulnerability can no longer be seen as weakness for myself. Like that's one of my lifelong goals is to notice and understand that vulnerability is strength, not weakness. And as the leader in this community of, of fitness business, I need to show that vulnerability. So backtrack to the blog post that I wrote, that was me being vulnerable before I knew I needed to be vulnerable for my community as their leader. I took a chance and I took a risk um, putting it out there Hey guys, I've had depression since I was 17. I'm putting it out there. Here's 
what fitness has done for me over the last 20 years. At the time I was probably 35. So using fitness for 18 years and finally expressing why it does such great things for me, scientifically, physiologically, mentally and emotionally. So fitness and nutrition exposed me to personal growth and then therefore personal growth exposed me to that next level of mindfulness. Tuning into my body, what it needs on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis after being a personal trainer for six years, listening to my body, listening to my intuition and my gut, what is it telling me I need right now? Mm -hmm. Being aware of what's going on in my body as a response to exercise is a great place to start, but then how do we get to the next level? What's the next level? Uh, that's when Jujitsu found me actually. Um, one of my adult hobbies had always been co-ed softball. I'd always just chosen to cut loose for an hour, hang out with good people who were being introduced to fitness in a team setting like softball. You can't take it seriously because none of us out there are, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> none of us are Arenado. No one is Arenado. We're not going to get $260 million to play co-ed softball. That's so a you, person? Yeah, no, he's a Rockies player and he just got a huge contract. To play co -ed? Baseball. No, oh. sorry, baseball. I was like, what? I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, no, man. no, I, none of us are going to be pro co-ed softball players, but Nolan Arenado oh, can get paid to play baseball. Yeah. So we can't take ourselves seriously when we're on the softball field for an hour, eight weeks in a row, and we're just out there to have a good time. And for five or six years, co-ed softball was great. It helped me build a community. It helped me do something other than weight training for fitness. It's like an alternative on weeknight instead of Red Rocks too. It's low key. It's less intense for me, but it's still a competitive nature. But that can only go so far in my mental, emotional, and physical growth. I wasn't being challenged anymore. And I needed to get outside my comfort zone again. Mm. So I kept driving by this boxing gym um, for six months when I opened my first studio, still feeling a little alone on the entrepreneurial journey, looking for a new community that I could kind of dive into that wasn't work-related. But it could totally benefit my business because they're fitness and they're like-minded people. So I kept driving by and I'm like, okay, I've done boxing before in a group setting in a class at the gym I built my business in first. I can do boxing, get outside my comfort zone, take it up a notch. And then I met the owners and I liked them and I trusted them so much that I decided to jump on the jujitsu mat for the first time. For the first three months, it did not go well. <laughs> I imagine. I got more than just rug burns on my forehead like, like I have today. I got demoralized and I got humbled and I was experiencing humility for the first time in a really long time. Because you had just been an expert in so many things you were doing. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not expert, but higher level proficiency for sure. Um, essentially, like I have a black belt in weight training, you know, five years of personal training business and experience. I can help almost anybody get to their goals. That wasn't challenging enough for me anymore, but I wasn't humble by it either. And so we're going to jump back to that vulnerability piece too of walking out of the jujitsu experience, sometimes on the verge of tears because I'm frustrated because I'm not proficient at it yet. But that's what the sport taught me is that it's never going to be on my timeline to get to the next level. It's always going to be consistency 
that's going to be the best producer of results in a new sport at 36 years old, it's not an easy sport for any age, but for a 36 year old dude, I lost eight pounds in the first year of doing jujitsu and I didn't think I had eight pounds to lose. You thought you were in the shape that you were in. Sure, and I'm pre- I was in pretty decent shape, uh, boxing and um, weight training multiple times a week, but it's just different strength. Like we were talking about core strength for prevention of a car accident. I was in a sideswiped car accident and my body was able to protect itself pretty well. And I competed in a jujitsu tournament later that week. Mm. I didn't perform very well, but my body was healthy enough that I could handle, withstand a car accident on Monday and compete on a Saturday. Lots of car accidents happen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like bad things happen in threes and sometimes bad things gravitate to one person. (laughs) Yeah. There was years in between these two car accidents. Good. Good to know. It was the second time that particular car had gotten sideswiped. One time it was just parked on the side of the road and and at two o'clock in the morning, a drunk driver hit it. That was totally random. But the other time I was driving and pretty, pretty modest speeds too, just 25 miles an hour or so, but nice. But even a simple car accident like that can throw you off. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I did have to see a Cairo for like five weeks after that tournament, but. <laughs> it's crazy. My, um, one of my friends got in a car accident just like, and like hit in the back and has been going to physical therapy for the last year and two weeks for her neck. And just wild. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Side comment. Um, I'm really curious about this concept because I grew up playing sports. Um, I, football was my life for a long time. <clears throat> Pickup basketball is where I find my like peace in a lot of ways. Uh, baseball, I played everything. I did everything. Sports was, my dad was almost a professional football player. I grew up thinking that's what I wanted for my life. And I've recently found community in the last five years through the arts, through vulnerable sharing, through soul stories, community. Um, and I find this incompat not incompatibility, but I find this perceived incompatibility between that old side of my life and this new. I go to the gym and I see guys on the basketball court act from impulse and they yell and they scream and that's a foul and it's like and it seems so childish to me. And so can you speak to this masculinity that Mm -hmm. is so prevalent and people would say toxic in some ways in my circles and how we bridge that gap? I think that is, uh, that's a hot topic in conversation right now. I, yeah. I'm tuning into a lot of different areas of education for me because I've had to learn about this um, masculinity in general and what it means to me and, and what I perceive others to be acting like. So on the court, basketball is a great opportunity for us to um, kind of work our way through this, this topic. Um, it's self-policed when you're playing pickup basketball. Yes. And when gentlemen get on the court in teams of five, they get very passionate about what they're doing. Yes. Right? So there's a certain type of person that gravitates to the court. Um, somebody who can keep up running up and down the court for a certain amount of time, but also somebody who can get down in the low post and take a hit, take a hit to the hip and, and not be back down, you know? And that takes physical strength and mental strength. And where the disconnect comes 
in most sports for men and some women too, but where the disconnect comes is that mental, like our mental focus in the moment of how do we not blow a gasket? How do we not lose our lid? And how do we not get in a shoving match on the court? It happens, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're self-policed. And I believe that when we're in that moment, the individual's mindfulness of who they are and what they want out of that situation is so important. And that, that works across the board. Yeah, it, it seems like it comes, the subconscious comes up so quickly there mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are emotions that are meant to destroy us as men. We're supposed to feel anger. However, what do we do with that? We're supposed to feel fear. But what do we do with that? And then we're supposed to feel um, sadness. Absolutely. And on the basketball court, you can feel all of them in just a moment's time. Yeah. You can be afraid of somebody who's taller, bigger, stronger than you. You can be afraid of somebody who has lost his temper in a game that you've played with before. And you're, you need to be mindful of what your a reaction to that is going to be. Okay, I learned from the first time it happened. I've played against this person. He has a temper. I may not do this, X, Y, and Z, to, to set him off this time. So that's mindfulness for yourself. And then if they're not self-aware, and if they're not going in, through any discovery process about themselves, then they will continue to mishandle their anger, fear, sadness, happiness, um, lust in, a, in, in the same way every single time. So the disconnect that comes within a sports arena and a vulnerable, creative, working through things kind of a space is that the individual is stuck where they're at. And either they know it and they're not doing anything about it or they're unaware of it entirely. And the challenging part for men when they get together in a group setting like a sport, happens in softball too, happens in basketball, happens on the jujitsu mat. It's a tough guy sport. Yeah. Um, But it can be changed. And the way that it can be changed is building the community of men for a different purpose, but they can still fulfill that purpose through basketball. Explain. We take it off of the court. Let's, Let's envision after the game. You know, you're sitting with your team and you're doing a little bit of bonding stuff. Maybe you go out for beers afterwards, you know, because you're you've seen these guys regularly and you've played with them in a pickup game regularly and you're like, okay, I I dig a few of these guys, let's go out for beers afterwards. That's an appropriate time for us to build connection as men and actually talk about what happened on the court. Hey man, uh, did you see that the last two times we played against this guy, he's blown his lid. What do you think we should do in the future? Should we just not play against him? Or should we address it ahead of time? Or should we... Um, basically keep our calm and not let him bother us. Mm. Those are really common and really appropriate ways to discuss other people's behavior, but also our own behavior in response to it too. And it doesn't seem like it's too uncomfortable. Yeah. Do you see yourself getting into that position or into that um, conversation at some point? I could see myself getting into that position when, when, when I'm with the same guys. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's also interesting you say that because I think that's such a mountain to climb because I, I, I was on the court on Monday 
and somebody like was like you little bitch and like got up in the guy's <laughs> face and they were like inches away from each other and you can kind of tell when people are going to fight or when they aren't going to fight and you mm-hmm. can tell it was just kind of like a little bit of a performance mm-hmm. and then they stopped the game ended everyone shook hands and like leave it on the court cool you know and it was fine and then afterwards everyone's like shaking hands and I'm just like what the hell why did any of that need to happen it clearly is a performance you're getting off the court you're not mad you don't feel anything anymore but that mentality of leaving on the court to me is like an issue where it's like communication's not valued as a man it's you deal with it you suck it up and you let it go Mm -hmm. it's an impression that you want other people to see of you um i i call it posturing yeah. And maybe like peacocking your feathers or something like that. But posturing in front of another man is simply just a mask that we're wearing. Yeah. Um, it's walls up. You're not going to touch this sensitive core that I have inside of me that I know is there, but I'm not going to address it right here, right now. Yes, it's the passion coming through. It's the intensity coming through. And there's a time and a place for those two behaviors or those two emotions for men. Absolutely. And sports is one of the ways that we get that out. Um, but there's an appropriateness behind it too when you're in a group setting. Mm. So if we understand which mask we're wearing at that time, it could be the tough guy mask, it could be the athlete mask is what Lewis Howes calls it in The Mask of Masculinity, which is a pretty good book that came out um, early 2018, maybe late 2017. Um, I resonate most with the stoic mask. I'm okay, everything's fine. Me too. You know, somebody gets in my- mask too. Yeah, somebody gets in my face on the basketball court or in jiu-jitsu, and I just walls up. And then afterwards, somebody asked me, hey, man, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. Everything's yes. all right. Me too. Yeah. 100%. Right? Yeah. And when I realized that that was the mask that I wear or I wore for 18 years of dealing with anxiety and depression by myself, for myself, alone, I knew that that mask had to come down more often than it's up. And when I'm present and when I'm in the moment in a jujitsu sparring match, I need to be mindful of my position, my body position. I also need to be mindful of my partner and in this position, am I safe? But I also cannot allow my partner to see that I'm processing that. So I'm still wearing a little bit of a mask in that moment, Yeah. but it's appropriate because I'm in competition one-on-one. I will not be defeated mentally because if I'm defeated mentally, then all physical capability is gone. Yeah. But I'm not tough guy in that situation. I'm not like, oh, I'm feeling defeated. Oh, I'm feeling unsafe in this position. So I'm just going to start thrashing and I'm going to start throwing punches because that's inappropriate behavior in that setting. What is appropriate is using technique to defend myself, maybe make a stronger frame with my forearms against exposed areas of his body, a hip position or a neck position or um, on their on their weaker arm. You know, it's just a strategy in that moment to make myself safer. But I'm not gonna be tough guy in that situation because that's um, not being fair as a teammate and as an opponent in our situation. Yeah. And on the basketball court, it can be used the same exact way. It's like, I'm intense and I'm passionate about basketball and I wanna perform my best. However, if I remove that tough guy mask and I don't get in anybody's face today, 
I'm actually going to have a better experience of my own basketball game right. than if I do the opposite and make it awkward and uncomfortable for everybody else because nobody wants to break up a fight. Nobody wants to clean up the sweat and the blood off of the court after the fight. Right. So my own self-awareness and discovery and my own mindfulness of who I am in that situation has to be independent of the other person's. And I may be able to diffuse that situation on a basketball court by taking a different body position, a different body language. Like instead of like nose to nose, maybe I'm simply just like, hey, you know what? That was a foul. I'm gonna keep my hands right here in front of my chest because this is non-threatening. However, it's a right self-defense here. position. This is like a non-threatening Non-threatening, position. yeah. However, it's in this- It's like a prayer position. Exactly, and if you come to within five to three feet of somebody and you're in this prayer position, kind of, you're non-threatening to the other person. You can actually use your passion and intensity with words. However, if he throws a punch, guess what? Now I can catch that punch. I just move my hand a little bit. That's so, I want to do this. Right? Yeah. So if I go from prayer position to palm out and I catch their forearm or their bicep, guess what? Now I just diffuse some of their physical energy towards my face. I'm just simply using something I used in self-defense from jujitsu to a basketball court situation where my mask is down. Yeah, I mean, there's however, there's almost like an interpretation of like, not like a begging, but like a, oh, please kind of thing, which kind of like, it's like, I'm not coming at you, but you know what? If you swing at me, I'm going to show you that I can defend myself without punching you, without kicking you. Because it's a basketball court, you know, we're not gonna go to blows on the basketball court, but it happens. It does. So how do we prevent that in a masculine setting? Yeah. I'm still masculine. You can still sense my masculinity in this position because I'm I'm still standing up for myself, using my passion and my intensity for the sport of basketball. Right. But I'm also not backing down so that you know that you know what, I'm important too. But my but my stance and my opinion is more important than my physical capability. And, and so it's interesting to hear this because in the world I'm currently, I, I feel like I often, in multiple worlds, but in the world of like vulnerable expression, it's very like, I feel this, like letting people know how you feel. In a sport or in a masculine setting, you're not advocating for that necessarily, but you're also like, you're not saying in jujitsu, you're gonna look at your partner and say, I feel afraid right now. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, you're not necessarily like exposing those vulnerable parts of yourself, but it sounds like you're responding to those vulnerable parts of yourself within yourself. Like mm-hmm. you're in control of those and you're not responding to fear with overcompensation. You're saying, this is what I feel inside and this is how mm-hmm. I'm going to react outside or respond outside. That's right. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. And in the sport of jujitsu, there are appropriate behaviors where when you get too uncomfortable, you have an out. You simply just tap your partner and say, good job. Thank you. I'm out just for a moment. And you take a little break and you reset and you restart. Because I got into too uncomfortable of a position for me, say like um, claustrophobia or an experience of bullying as a, as a kid, those are the two reasons why jujitsu um, helps me become a stronger person through humility and humbling and the process of learning something new as an adult. 
if some heavier opponent, 200 pounds, is sitting on my chest and I can't breathe and I can't use my technique to defend myself, I can tap out to that. It's not an arm bar and it's not a choke and it's not these really uber masculine things that you see in the MMA and UFC and things like that. It's simply just like, I'm too uncomfortable and I don't know a solution to it. So instead of thrashing around and making it a terrible experience for my opponent who's putting his weight on me, simply just tap, reset and say, if they ask, I've had somebody ask that before, it's like, hey Dave, what happened there? I didn't even have a submission on you. I'm like, you know what? Just got a little claustrophobic, that's all. Yeah, and this be, was mean. Uh-huh, and because I shared that in like a really logical way, that's what our sport is doing, is teaching us how to be mindful of our body position during claustrophobic situations. You know what, this black belt who was putting pressure on my chest, he said, you know what, that's why I started jujitsu too. <laughs> and uh, Brene Brown always talks about when you're vulnerable, other people have that invitation to be vulnerable too. I'm a blue belt at 185 pounds and I'm competing and sparring against a black belt with at least 10 years of experience who's similar in weight, but he's shorter and he's putting too much pressure on me. And I say, um, tap, you know, and I tap out and we break apart and I, and he asked me the question, Dave, why'd you tap there? I didn't have a submission. Oh, you know what? Just felt a little claustrophobic. I haven't trained in the last few weeks because I switched to a new school. Oh, I totally get that. That's where I've been too. Yeah. And you know what? We reset and we restart and he's aware of it and he still comes at me and still applies the same amount of pressure. But because he knew that, maybe he backs off like 5%. And it's a better experience for us both because I'm not tapping too early and he's not putting too much pressure on my chest. And do you find that you become closer to that person in that Absolutely. Process? Yeah, now that trust is there. Um, I don't know every single black belt in our in my new school. It's a bigger school system. So they have many, many, many more black belts and upper belts, brown belts and purple belts than I've ever come in contact with before. So if I see him in a class down the, down the road, I know that he's a good sparring partner, even though he's a black belt to my blue belt. And does he feel that way with you? Gosh, I hope so. I mean, um, after, after our class session time was over and live sparring was finished, you know, we can walk towards the locker room together and say, hey, thanks for the role. Thanks for sparring with me. You know, and I think it's the same thing in a, in a basketball situation too. Mm. You know what? You know, like I'm going to take prayer position against somebody who's maybe nose to nose with me. He's not going to think less of me because I'm not coming back at him in a, in a mirror or in a reflection kind of a way. And then as we walk to the locker rooms afterwards, say, hey, good game today. Hope to see you again soon. Just want to let you know that um, thanks for hearing what I had to say as opposed to um, thanks for not throwing a punch or thanks for making me not throw a punch or something like that. Right, like instead of a passive-aggressive cut yeah. or more defense, it's yeah. kind of like extending. Gratitude. Yeah. Without actually losing any masculinity whatsoever. Yeah. Gratitude, vulnerability, um, honesty, communication. These are all traits of masculine people but it's how we use them and what's our intent behind them. Yeah. I can't use vulnerability with ill intent. It's gonna come across the wrong way. You know, like in the jujitsu setting that I was just telling you about, had I gotten into a disadvantaged position where I'm on my back and my opponent's on my chest and he's immediately putting too much pressure on me and I tap right then, that's using vulnerability as an out. 
And here's what I mean. I didn't even try to escape. I simply just got into a position that I know I'm not comfortable in and I immediately got out of it by taking the easy way out. But that's not appropriate for the sport. You know what I'm saying? Like um, in basketball, if you're in the low post and somebody is just like increasingly gaining position on you by pushing their their hips back into you. Or you know, using the elbow inappropriately is what I find in the post sure. a lot. Sure, and and that in that situation, like calling foul too early, would be like just taking the easy way out. However, and not the easy way out, but like it's a pickup game, so you're going to be like, okay, I'll take an elbow to the chest, but I won't take an elbow to the to the chin and the nose. Okay, he's shoving shoulder into my chest to get closer to the basket. I get that. I understand that. But I'm not going to call foul on the first one. Right. Because I want the game to continue to flow. And I don't want to instigate any of that like, oh, he's going to come over the top with uber masculinity because I took just an easy out with an easy foul call. Yeah, I'm curious if like that, if that easy out of vulnerability almost makes people wary to play with mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, lose, you lose the integrity of the game at that yep. point. And so it's almost some, can be a little manipulative in, yep. in your own way. And that's what we mean by ill intent. Yeah. Uh, I think it comes up more often in relationships. When do we use vulnerability as a strength instead of a weakness? And also, when do we use a vulnerability appropriately? And I come back to Brene Brown again because she talks about oversharing. Yeah, I think she says gaslighting a lot. Sure. So the overshare, too early in a relationship, if your intent is to build trust with your partner, it's actually going to do the opposite. If I overshare maybe too much of my history or like here's all of my blah, my um, all of my shit, I'm just going to lay it out there on, on the table first or second date. To build more trust so that you know I'm honest and so that you know I'm transparent. However, in her research, she's found that that actually takes away from the trust of the experience. I believe that, yeah. Yeah. And I've had to learn that the hard way. And I've had to teach people that the hard way, too, of like, that was too much too much vulnerability. Now I feel manipulated. Now we're not going to progress to a third day. I found, like, when I was in that position of doing that, more often than not, uh that I was looking for somebody to take care of me. I wanted to take the responsibility off of myself and place it on them. And so it appears as sensitive, it appears as I'm sharing and you're getting to know me, but what it really is, is like, I can't deal with my own shit. Can you do my thing for, can you do this for me? Absolutely correct. And we can tie this back into our, our masculinity conversation. Is that a masculine trait? What you're talking about is passivity, being a little bit passive of like, I need you to be the leader. Mm -hmm. Whereas masculine is a great way to lead others. Masculinity is being in that position of strength, but not overpowering anybody. That position of honest, authentic vulnerability in order to lead other people. Mm. And if we're saying, I need you to be my emotional support system, that's not masculinity. That's actually an area where we can talk about that toxic masculinity. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to tease out emotional support system 
just as that sounds as a sound bite. Okay. Because I think what you're saying is more of like a emotional crutch. Yes. Right. Because I think everybody needs emotional support, support system. system. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. The soul support system. Like, if we're entering into a monogamous committed relationship, that cannot be your only emotional support system. Right. And you're talking about that as a crutch, and you're absolutely correct. So therefore, the men that you're playing basketball with are a different source of emotional support mm -hmm. if we're being appropriate and behaving like real men and real adults in that situation. Yeah. You can get as much benefit from a community like that as you can from a one-on-one -on -one relationship at home. I, yeah, and it, it sounds like you're advocating for getting your needs met in multiple ways. That's correct. And getting your needs met from yourself as well. M most importantly from yourself. Yeah. Um, taking the situation of how do I react to that guy blowing his lid on the court? I need to take the confidence and the self-efficacy and the the education that I've chosen to give myself and deal with myself in that situation, not deal with the other person in this situation so that I can de-escalate as opposed to escalate right. both within myself and the, and the situation as a whole. Yeah. But it starts with us. Cause I, I found in that situation, a lot of people around me and I'm grateful for the work I've done on myself to be able to handle myself there. But I found a lot of people start like shit talking to people around them. They're not even like, they're all, they all feel this negativity and then they're dispelling their negative emotions at each other and not at the source. And so then it's just rippling out. Yeah. I loved how you said that you weren't taking responsibility for yourself and that you've learned to do the exact opposite for your own betterment. Yeah. It's been a long journey for me. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Another question about masculinity. You said something about masculinity as, as leading. Mm -hmm. Can masculinity be led? Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's a, a true joy of masculinity as well. That's where humility and humbleness come from or come into play as a masculine role. Am I humble enough to be led? Here's a great example. And something that I've discovered in the last two years is rebuilding a relationship with God for me has been very important. Am I the spiritual leader because I just found God again two years ago? Absolutely not. I have to be led on my spiritual journey by another who is more intelligent, more experienced, more thoughtful, more present in that moment and in that space because I can't be leading myself in that journey. And a pastor is a great example of that, a men's group that I'm a part of on a weekly basis. I'm not leading a men's group, heck no, in the spiritual world. Yeah. I have to be led there and I have to be humble enough to know that that's where I need to be, is in the passenger seat, not the driver's seat. Have you, in this journey, have you found your interactions with women have changed? Mm -hmm. and what, how, how has that looked? I have so much more grace and compassion for all other people, mm -hmm. men and women alike, but in my romantic pursuits, I'm still single. I actually enjoy being single because I've generated so much resiliency by personal growth, by having a relationship with God and learning more about myself. Self-awareness and discovery has built that resilience in me. Yeah. So my interactions with women, coming back to um, being led on this masculine journey, I'm a recovering Mr. Nice Guy. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you haven't read the book yet, No More Mr. Nice Guy, I'd recommend it. It's a phenomenal book on, on showing me that I was seeking women's approval. Mm. And that's not healthy. Certainly not a form of healthy masculinity at all. Where that passivity comes into play and I'm going to be like, oh, the ball's in your court. What are we doing? How are we leading this relationship? Where is this relationship going? I always left it up to them. But that's unattractive yeah. to women and to the feminine energy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. Of course, I had to be led on that journey by another men's group that I'm a part of that's secular and that's talking mostly about stoicism and, and men's issues in a small group setting. It's been great for me. I'm not the leader of that group. It's so great to not have that responsibility, but it's also great to have the humility to walk into that room and just be a part of it. Yeah. Just be who I am at this moment so that I can actually be more comfortable in my skin when I am dealing with women. Yeah. And in a way, be more attractive to them too as, a, as an improved sense of myself. With, with all this being said, and I 100% gather that you are like, you know, you have a lot of respect for like feminine energy. What would you say to men who see feminine energy as weakness? I, I would say that we all have feminine energy, even as men, especially as men. Like when men view femininity as weakness, they're saying something about themselves that they're unsure of, that they're not aware of, and that they're not willing to deal with. And mm-hmm. that's why they put up a mask of masculinity of mm-hmm. like, I am the tough guy. I'm the athlete. I'm the stoic. I'm the financial guru. You ever hear of a guy who just brag about his money all the oh time? Oh my God. <laughs> you can see through that, that farce and you're like, this guy is so insecure that he's just bragging about his watch and his car and his house. And, um, why are you alone, bro? Right. You're alone because you're wearing that mask and you won't let anybody in because you're afraid of this, this, or that. It's not my place to, to point the finger, but are you addressing your own feminine energy so that you can tune into it so that you can be more graceful and compassionate for other people? So do you think if, if this, um, and let me know if like, you know, I'm just so, I, I love these questions and I love coming at you with them because I feel like you have a really cool perspective on it. P, men finding that fear of like that feminine energy within them. Do you think, and this is just your perspective, obviously, this isn't the general solution, but do you think if, if men were to find those aspects of themselves, we would have a much stronger sense of gender equality in this country? Who that is a big I know, question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. I believe that there are a lot of different ways men can tap into feminine energy. And I'll expand on the men's group thing just for a moment in order to get to there. When men get together in a group, small group or a large group, say like a weekend conference or like a weekend getaway, um, our church hosts a couple a year, you know, go, go away for a weekend with a bunch of men with the intention of forming better relationships with men. And how we do that in a small group setting or in a large group setting is we tell the truth to each other. We're honest with each other as men first, working on our masculine energy, but tapping into the femininity as well. 
to get to get to those relationships. Absolutely. Because if I'm not vulnerable, if I'm not honest and I'm not authentic on this entire weekend, I just wasted money and time. So if I'm going to be there, I'm going to pour into the opportunity of understanding who you are as a man, as a man, which coming from me is a very uh, feminine type trait. Mm, is self-awareness. Uh, self-awareness, but also like this community and this bond through communication. Because if men are continuously wearing their masks, they're not going to communicate authentically with other men. Right. Right? So if we're taking this men's group and this support, uh, men supporting men, then we come home. And if we have a, a wife or a girlfriend or a partner at home, we can actually be better men for them at home because we tapped into our feminine energy for a weekend or a week or a year's worth of small group men's work. And then we have better gender equality in our own home because we have more grace and compassion for our partner that we're choosing. And then when we go to work, guess what? We have better gender equality at work because we have more grace and compassion for the women or the feminine energy in men at work. So when we take responsibility for ourselves as men, Working on our self-awareness and discovery. With other men. Yeah, sometimes that's the case. That's like the yeah. second step. First of all, we have to address the fact that we need our, we need help. Yeah. Admitting that as men is very hard to do. Uh-huh. So when we start saying that to ourselves, then we're like, okay, what's the next step? Maybe I go talk to somebody. And if I can't afford one-on-one, maybe I go talk to a small group. Maybe I do it through my church where it's free. And then I go pay for a weekend. Or then, then I actually work it out on the court where a pickup game of basketball is still free. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, I need some help. Maybe the men on my basketball team can actually show me appropriate de-escalation instead of escalation where I'm just not understanding how to deal with my anger and my fear and my sadness. Okay. Maybe other men know how to do that. Then I bring it home to my relationship with my wife or my girlfriend or my partner. And then that relationship improves. And then my relationship, because I've built this foundation and it's proven, it gives me hope that I can do that with a woman, then I can do it at work. And then I can do it in my political decisions. And then I can do it when I raise my daughter. And then it's like this ripple effect. Yeah. But it has to start with you and work its way outward, not the other way around. And the example of that is like, Danny, if I come to you and I'm like, you need help. And I'm pointing my finger at you. Maybe this is your partner at home saying, honey, you're reeling. You're downward spiral right now. You need help. Guess what? Man's just going to clam up. Mm-hmm. It's the man that has to say to himself, I need help. And maybe he goes to his partner and says, what do you recommend? Do you know anybody? Because you're more in tune with that right now. Who do I go see? Who can I see through our insurance, through work? Or who can I see through our church that we go to? I haven't reached out and connected with any men at my church, even though I go every Sunday. I'm in, I'm out, I don't even sing the songs, just got my stoic mask on. Mm-hmm. I'm there, I'm representing my relationship with God. But if those walls are up with your relationship with God, they're gonna be walls up in every other facet of your life. Mm. It's so interesting. And what I'm hearing is, you know, when you decide to take that journey, because I will do it at different times, to to find a space to let your walls down. And also, interestingly enough, advocating for men to do that with each other is a, is like almost an act of, you know, I don't, 
it's a big big thing for me to say, but an act of feminism is relating to men in a different way. Because once we take off the sarcastic has to make a joke in every interaction, which I often find the Joker men, mask, yeah, uh, it's a con. That's my biggest one with <laughs> other men. Like I have to be sarcastic. Um, that we find a different way to relate to the world around us. Right. I, I've never seen that from you in our in our two interactions. Mm. I haven't seen sarcasm from you, and I'm wondering if it has anything to do with. My relationship that I built with Carrie Ann, who introduced us, Carrie Ann introduced the two of us. Yeah. And she gave it a different presentation than say like, um, our producer introduces us and it was like, Hey, meet, uh, Dave, meet Danny, Danny, meet Dave. And that's it. Yeah. Whereas Carrie Ann introduced us and she said, Hey, you guys are both like-minded and care about the same things. Mm. I think you guys should meet. Yeah. See that approach there. Yeah. It's no longer pointing the finger. It's saying, you know what? You guys are both caring about community. And I believe that you guys can build a more community together. Yeah. And the, I think the groundwork laid with Carrie Ann's relationship and I is through the, through the lens of vulnerability. And, and consciousness. And consciousness. Oh, yeah, awareness, for yeah. sure. That you never even chose or subconsciously wore that mask in our interactions. Yeah, I kind of even knew that going into an introduction from Carrie Ann, that's where I was going to go. Got it. You know. It's fascinating stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's contextual. It is very contextual. Had we met on the basketball court, you'd have been like, who's this guy coming to play? He's like a rookie. Like, this, <laughs> this guy's awful at basketball. Now I'm going to be sarcastic and joking with him because that's the default yeah. mode for you. Yeah, totally. And I'm on the court and I'm like, well, maybe it's my first time ever trying to play, but I'm looking for a community of guys that I can hang out with and connect with. Oh, man. But the context is so much different. Yeah. Right? Where we couldn't have even introduced that on the first time that we met. No. But because we met in different situation and different contexts altogether, no mask necessary. That, and that's what, that's like, it's a really interesting thing because I definitely feel all these sides of myself, but people will talk to me about like vulnerability or whatever. And I think it really is about the space, you know, whatever, like people operate within, people will go very deep. People will be vulnerable. They'll, but like, what's the space they're operating in? And I think that people don't give it enough credit, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I think in our, in our country, at least I think it, Culturally, we're a very individualistic society. For sure. And I really like what you're saying about, like, our relationship was created by the space that was created through Carrie Ann's introduction. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it would not have even been available had I not done a certain amount of work ahead of time meeting Carrie, Carrie Ann. Yeah. And vice versa. Yourself, on the other end, we never would have come together had one or the other of us not started our own individual journey. Yeah. Coming together, and now we're a community. Yeah. Very insightful of you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and shoot, just, just from a, a personal trainer from six years ago, just trying to serve people through fitness and nutrition. Your mom. Yeah. Just one mom. person, right? All the way to this. And, and I have to take responsibility for what's the next step for me leading a community. Otherwise, the community is gone. If, if the leader isn't worth anything, the community isn't worth anything. Yeah, I've definitely found that in my journey. Yeah. yeah. Um, How do you want to wrap it up? Yeah, I, well, where do people find you? What's next for you? Um, Instagram's a great place to find me. Uh, Dave Glazer underscore CSCS. 
which stands for Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. And then from there, you can always um, go down the rabbit hole of finding Fit Life Champions as a business. Um, You can find the Authentic Dating Podcast that way too. Okay. Believe, be real, be bold. Um, That's probably the best, um, the most passionate project that I have working right now. Yeah. It's been an amazing personal growth discovery of what authenticity means to me. Mm. And uh, without that, without that platform to, to learn from, we wouldn't be sitting on the couch for sure. Mm. So that's probably the best three ways to get a hold of me. Nice. Um, is there anything you want to wrap this conversation up with? Is there anything you want to like say or you haven't said so far or a theme you might want to reiterate? Right. Um, the community came to me when I wrote that first blog post and they said, great job, Dave. This is what we've been missing basically from the community. We want more of that. And it took another few years for me to understand that by laws of attraction, the same person that I was, was gravitating to me as my client. Mm. And when I realized that 80% of my community had a history of trauma, trainers and, and clients alike, I pretty much just dove all in to learning how fitness and nutrition can Um, in a holistic approach, help mental health. So we knew the physical, and we knew that serotonin, dopamine, da-da-da-da-da, but we also needed to incorporate more pillars of health. So we went from physical to mental, and then we added in emotional, because uh, from mental health you have emotional health, but I had to go on my own path and my own journey in order to get to emotional health and emotional intelligence as a foundation of that. And then finally, having to be vulnerable with my spiritual journey as well. Mm. So we have four pillars of, of a foundation in our, in our culture, in our community of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health as four legs of a stool. If anyone is shorter than the other, then that stool is going to be wobbly. And we're not going to be able to sit on top of that stool um, as safely or as balanced as we want to be. So when we talk about these three day per week accessible, safe, low-risk, high-reward workout programs, we're talking about those four pillars of health. It's holistic. Yeah, for our members. That's exactly right. So um, there's a great researcher out there, Kabat-Zinn, that we're diving into as a, as a mind-body connection and its healthful benefits. So that's the next step for me is to discover more about myself, but also discover more about how I can help the community improve mental health through fitness and nutrition. Well, I, I certainly appreciate your willingness to continue to grow. This wasn't a conversation where you're like, I figured this out, Danny, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you this. You're like, no, I'm, I'm right here, and there's still plenty to go. <laughs> right. right, that that process never stops, because if we stop learning, then we're, we're already dying. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Dave. This was awesome. Appreciate the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. I like this couch. Oh yeah, free. Most of the stuff in here is free. Best way to live. Is free. Yeah. <laughs> I think everything in my place except for the plate. No, even the plates are hand-me-downs. Oh, nice. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Soul Stories podcast. Having these conversations is super important to me as a person and the backbone behind why we do everything at Soul Stories. I would be extremely grateful if you were to leave a review at iTunes 
and share this episode with someone you care about. It helps us build the movement. Until next time, this is Danny signing off.